0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy in the last chapter of First Timothy. First Timothy, chapter six. First Timothy, chapter six. As you're turning, just um, just a reminder to you that um, we are persevering through these summer months. Um, we were persevering because they are some of the, the best times. Um, it is, uh, it's, it, I'm looking forward to this coming weekend where we will be together. Uh, we have uh, um, a fish fry that a, a whole lot of you have signed up for. We had to, I think, hire a bunch of fish slayers in order to feed all of you for that fish fry. So um, we're looking forward to those kinds of things. I remember when my kids were... Um, 7 and 8 and 10 and 11. Um, camping on Memorial Weekend was uh, um, pack everything up, unpack everything, not see the kids for several days, then pack everything up, make sure we had our kids, and go home on Monday um, because they just had a great time. So some of their best memories together as, as, as children were out at camp on Memorial Weekend. So even if you're not staying at camp, Um, take a few hours or a day and come out, walk around, enjoy um, uh, uh, just being out there and reconnecting. Um, I give you permission, if somebody's cooking, just walk up, they'll feed you. Um, That's usually how it works, right? You just walk up, they'll feed you. That's how our kids ate. We never knew exactly what they ate, and we never fed our kids. We always fed other people. Um, It's a wonderful, wonderful time. Such is summer in this season that we're in, and it is a time for endurance. Um, we are we've been talking about that here at at church to really how can we during these summer months continue to grow spiritually to not put that on the back burner and so I would encourage you as families to talk about those kinds of things how can you use your time your resources um, how can you increase your fellowship your worship if you're going away on your checklist, you ought to be several gospel preaching services that you make a part of that that time away um, that you take your family because you're teaching your children. You'll teach them by your actions. That's what Deuteronomy chapter six says. As parents, you're teaching them all the time. If you are past the child raising rearing years, you're still teaching. Um, they're still watching. And so, I would encourage you that um, don't allow leisure. And don't allow the distraction of God's goodness to become the thing. Keep God at the center. And you will reap a harvest. That's what this time is for, right? That's what the season is for. Um, This season is for growing so that we will reap a harvest. Uh, This morning's message is about endurance. It's about endurance. Look at verse 13 as Paul charges Timothy. And he says this. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed... And only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. These are the verses that we are going to look at this morning. And it is it, these verses are in the context of what comes before this in verses 11 and 12 in which verse 12 Paul says to to Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. He's preparing him to fight. Right? That that is the that's the tone of this particular passage. You know, think about the Rocky movies. Think about just any fight. You know, you've got a ring. How do you talk when there's a fight going on and you're cheering them on, right? Right? Is it like do you kind of whisper is that what you do? You know, if, if uh, you know, you're watching a runner run, right, H- how do you do that? Is it kind of monotone? Go, fight, win, you know? Is that like, how, how does that, how, how, what kind of sense do you, do you get that Paul is, tell, when he's telling Timothy here to fight the good fight? What must Timothy be up against? What's the concern of the Apostle Paul when he says, I charge you. I charge you. This is a battle. It's a battle. And we're in a battle as well. And so the scriptures apply to us. And here through the ages, through the inspired word of God, God is charging us as well through the scriptures. He is charging us. He's encouraging us in this to fight the good fight. And here he's encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight to the end. How do you do that? How do you encourage someone to fight the good fight all the way to the end? Right? What does that look like? I'm fascinated when I I read about or watch movies about the American Revolution. Um, I'm fascinated about the courage that it must have taken at that particular time to fight the way that they fought. Um, Now, around the American Revolution, a change in technology changed battle tactics. You see, because the change in technology was the accuracy of the musket. And the um, the actual physical change in that musket ball and in the barrels uh, of those of those guns, you see muskets at the time of their invention were not much more accurate than instruments that they would throw um, and uh, so, I always wondered like why do these guys you know you see them they've got the drummer and they're marching and then they stand on the battle all in a line and 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 for a long time it was it was actually a square that they would fight in um so they fight in this square multiple rows deep and the reason is there's two weapons one was the musket Um, that would fire um, rather inaccurately. And so you try to concentrate firepower in one place. And so you'd have somebody that would call out. The other was cavalry, men on horses. And those horse riders would break up that formation. Um, and it was actually the invention of the bayonet that turned the squares as a, um, a as a, a tactical means into l- lines. So when you see those or read about those those men that fought around the time of the American Revolution or before, um, they were using technology that was was still very similar to hand to hand combat. But I still admired like the the courage that it must have taken to march up there and here's a guy across the field and, and, you know, you'd be in that front line and you know what they're aiming for across that field, for you. And you're standing right there. And, you know, ready, aim, fire. And when you fired, you know, you'd step back and then the next person would step up because they had their musket loaded and they would fire. And you'd have someone who was commanding you to fire at a certain place in the opposite formation because they knew that these guns were not that accurate so you hoped to hit something and and you know with that amount of firepower you know people would just drop well here was the secret to that kind of fighting whether it was hand-to-hand so it hadn't changed very much hand-to-hand or fighting with those muskets it was keeping your shoulder next to the shoulder of the man next to you and if that man fell the line would close in and you would hold the line because the line was essential to the tactics when as soon as you broke from the line or the line broke up you were vulnerable I, i just can't imagine that more vulnerable than standing in a line having somebody shoot at me the answer is yes when the line broke, you know that's when um, that's when that line broke. It was that was the whole objective of that style of fighting, and it's very similar to just simple hand-to-hand field combat. Was to break the line, scatter the enemy. Don't allow them physical distance close to one another. Because they're fighting together and they were more powerful together in that line than they are separated. And so you'd have an individual that in that line that was simply there to command the line. And their main weapon was their voice. That's what I hear in this passage. That's what I hear when... God, through Paul to Timothy, is saying this. I charge you. I charge you. It is the one who's saying, hold the line. Hold the line. There's this encouragement, right? He's giving orders. And the orders are given in order to win the battle. I generally don't think of encouragement as commanding obedience. But that's how it happens in this passage. God encourages us by commanding our obedience. God is encouraging you this morning by commanding your obedience to him. You see, we tend not to think about this idea of commanding obedience as very thoughtful or loving. The loving thing is to give you a choice allow you to do what you want to do well that's fine unless you're on the battlefield unless you forget that this is a fight I think sometimes we've forgotten how to fight and that we're in one and so this morning scripture God commands us or encourages us by commanding obedience And, and this is what he says It's one simple sentence. We're going to break this down okay, into four points. There's really two, but we're going to break it down into four points. Um, He says this, Keep your commitment until Jesus returns, for God will keep you for his glory. Keep your commitment. This is the charge. Keep your commitment. This is the command. Keep your commitment until Jesus returns, for God will keep you for his glory. So we're going to look at keep your commitment Until Jesus returns. Keep your commitment until Jesus returns. This is the command that he speaks to. Um, And so we're going to break that down into two parts. For God will keep you. It's an interesting thing. What God commands us to do, think about that, he will do. What he commands us to do, he will do. For God will keep you for his glory. Let's, let's look at those um, four points. Keep your commitment. Notice that he says, I charge you, right? So this word's used often. It means to order, to command, to announce what must be done. Here is what you must do. So the language is strong. It's, it's very, very strong language. What did Paul, what is Paul telling Timothy to do? Look at verse 14. He says, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So, question is, what is this commandment? It's a single commandment. Um, it's it is not. You know, there's there's six hundred and thirteen laws. Um, there's ten commandments. Um, there's Jesus summarized those in two commandments. So, which is it? Which one of these things is? Paul telling Timothy to do. Well, it's not really any of those particular things. In fact, the clue is in the verses prior to this. Note what he says. He says in verse 12: Fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What is this commandment? It's to hold fast. To your baptism, that's what Paul is describing here. Hold fast to your baptism. Follow through with your commitment to Christ and the church. That's what he's saying to the elder, Timothy. Follow through to your commitment to Jesus and the people here that you are pastoring. When a person comes to know Christ as Savior, they hear the, the words... scripture and they understand their sin and they confess sin and they receive that assurance and grace that they are truly saved by the work of Jesus Christ what is the first and the next and first thing they do as a follower of Jesus Christ is that they profess publicly that they are a follower of Jesus Christ they do that by the commandment of Scripture through the waters of baptism Right? There, is, there, there are no secret Christians. Right? It, is, it is the gospel that saves. Baptism doesn't regenerate. But it is a loving command of God that those that are saved follow through in baptism. Paul speaks here of witnesses. Who were those witnesses? It was the church. Right? So, so baptism is not something that is done privately. Um, it is not something that is an individualistic thing. And we don't just get saved and have our neighbor dunk us in their pool. right? It is, it is a, it's the church that does that. Why? Well, because you are being baptized into Christ, who is the head, and the church is the body. Right? As you are united with Christ, you are inextricably united with one another in the body of Christ. That's the symbolism of baptism. So next weekend we're going to have baptisms. You say, well, who is, who is active at a baptism? What's the active participant at a baptism? Well, it's, it's more than just one. It is the one being baptized. That tends to be the focus. But the witnesses are the baptizers. Because what that that person is coming is they are publicly professing Jesus. And by your presence, you are affirming their confession of faith. You're affirming that. That is a needed and necessary part of baptism. And in that confirmation, you are saying that you will encourage them to grow because what they're saying in their confession is, I want to be united to you in the same way that I'm united to Christ. I'm part of the body. You're the body. We are united together. And so here, what Paul is reminding Timothy is to hold fast. Keep the commandment. Keep the commandment. Don't forget that commitment that you made publicly. Persevere. You see, what we see in Christianity is far too many people that fail to persevere. They find faith and then they find other things and they drop out of the fight. It's very difficult. In fact, I would say that we need to be very careful of giving a person who fails to keep the commandment assurance that they're walking with Jesus. doesn't mean that they may not be saved. They, they might, but they shouldn't be assured of that and neither should we give them assurance of that. Now, this is a serious thing. You think about you're in the fight. You're in the battle. It is a battle. You're standing shoulder to shoulder. And here you have the voice of Scripture saying, "Hold the line." And you're thinking, the same thing I'm thinking, when you think about those men standing in a field, but they're shooting at, at me. I really like the combat, where you hide and then peek out and shoot and hide i like the hiding part that's good i don't like standing shoulder to shoulder as a target but it is this keeping the command see see that 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 whole image of this public battle that's what we're in we're in a public battle and our confession is for the king. It's public. In fact, he brings that up here. We'll, we'll point that out in a moment. But it also begins. I want you to see what Paul is pointing to Timothy, that it begins publicly. Like you started that way. Well, then finish that way. And we have far too many people that are willing to profess Christ publicly at the beginning, and then they realize what the cost is. Or they realize that they can't. Or they realize that they have to say no in order to say yes to the good things for God's glory. And they're unwilling. The Westminster Catechism asks the question about baptism. It says this, what is the duty of such who are rightly baptized? Here's the answer. It is the duty of those notice that word it fits with the scripture it's a com- it's commanded why is it commanded why is it a duty because because of the language of scripture it's a duty because you're a soldier and we're going to encourage you to fight with commands it's the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give themselves to, to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church Of Jesus Christ, that they may walk in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Let me put it this way if if you are rightly baptized, it is your duty to give up of yourself to a particular local church, an orderly church of Jesus Christ, that you may walk in the commandments and ordinances of Jesus Christ it is your duty we find this charge reiterated um, in verse 11 and 12 he says he says this but as for you o man of god flee these things pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness and gentleness fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here's how you keep this. You flee certain things, those are listed before, those idolatrous things, and you pursue. How do you do that? You join yourself with a local church. You stand shoulder to shoulder. You persevere to the end. So when Paul says, keep this commandment, he means keep the faith that you professed in the waters of baptism with all its ethical demands. Continue to believe in Jesus Christ and do all that God requires of you. And Paul adds these words, unstained and free from reproach. In other words, Paul was telling Timothy to maintain purity. To avoid blemishes on his character. Free from reproach. This means free from valid criticism, not invalid criticism. Christ himself was criticized by others. Men hated him, slandered him, but unjustly. The Christian is to be free from reproach, which means above criticism that's valid and justified. So to all who have been baptized in Christ, let us together... Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So ask yourself, are you, are you doing this? Are you keeping that commandment? Are you keeping that commandment? Uh, are, have you been baptized? If you've been baptized, are you keeping that commandment? Um, if you've been baptized, have you joined with the local church? For hundreds and hundreds of years, baptism and church membership was one thing. We've separated that into two things. Really, they go together. If you've been baptized, right? Baptism was an identification. It is an identification with the local church. You, it, it's a two-step thing. You, you need, if you've done 1A, you need to do 1B. Right? That's part of God's word. But here it's saying, are you keeping that? Are you keeping that? Are you holding fast? to that confession that you made through the waters of baptism. Secondly, keep your commitment for how long? Until Jesus returns. Keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach. But he says, until when? Until Jesus comes back. we are to do this in good times and in bad times in times of plenty in times of want in times of freedom and in times of persecution perhaps the most dangerous times are those times um, not of plenty and not the times of great persecution but perhaps the most difficult times to keep our commitment, are in the times of transition where the church goes from being favored to despised or from despised to favored within our culture. These times can be very disorienting for the, if the people of God are not prepared. Now, I don't know what, what the future holds, but perhaps we're in one of those times of transitions. And I ask you, is your faith strong? Do you have a true love for the right things? For God and the things of God. Is your hope in the right place? In God and in Christ and his promises that are in the the word of God. Where is your treasure? For that's where your heart is. When you think about the opportunity for margin or free time or space or life transition are the things that come to the top of your priority list the movement of the kingdom of God and his glory in the world or do you shrink back from those things in order to use your reserve time energy and resources on yourself where is your treasure that's where your heart is That's why we need a command. We need somebody to command us, not give us a suggestion, right? We need someone to to command us in this way. Why? Well, because the house is on fire and you are in it, and there's a rescuer who's not suggesting a rescue. He's commanding, hold my hand, take the rope, come out, be free. God will keep you. God will keep you. Paul's charge to Timothy was to keep the commandments unstained, free from reproach. The duration, how long he should do that, until the appearing of Jesus Christ. um, And notice... What happens here? God's the one who keeps. Verse 13, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul emphasize these Particular things. He reminds Timothy of two things. One, that God gives life to all things, God is the author of life. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. This is not just before the witnesses at your baptism, this is also, this is before God. God who what? God who's your creator, God who gives you identity. Your identity is not formed or informed by any person in this room. It's not socially informed. It's not fluid. It's determined. It's determined by someone outside of you. It's not determined by you or anything in you. It's determined because God is the creator. God is the one who gives all things life. He's reminding timothy of who god is and reminding timothy of who god is reminds him of who he is and his identity in relationship that he has with god your identity comes from your relationship with god which is a wonderful thing because you don't need to discover who you are you don't i said this yesterday at a quinceanera to a 15 year old girl i said You know, you don't need to graduate from high school or college and backpack through Europe. I've saved you a lot of money to discover who you are. You just need to go to God's word. And that's exactly in this fight. He reminds Timothy of who you are. Let me ask you, who are you? You will be confronted with that question. I guarantee it this week. Who are you? you a son of the king if you are in Christ that is who you are created and redeemed it is a public profession of faith of who you are and notice that's exactly what Jesus did before the worldly powers what does Jesus do think about why does Paul take this particular event? He says, before this earthly ruler, Jesus does what? Makes the good confession. Christ Jesus makes the good confession, his testimony before Pontius Pilate. The reason that Paul emphasizes these things Is that both of these truths are an encouragement when we face threats. When perceived or otherwise. A threat just has to be a threat. It doesn't have to be a real threat. But if it's a real threat, this is a great comfort. Know who you are. Know that Jesus Christ has overcome. And he stood before earthly powers and confessed Who he is. When they asked Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He simply gave his identity. What did he say? He said, I am. And what happened? Everyone fell back. That same Jesus lives in you. If you are a part of Christ and his body, all you need to do is identify with him and you are connected to eternal power. And you simply need to say, I am his. And that will help you hold the line. Do you believe that God gives life? Do you believe in the power of the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, that you will be raised to life? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because he was faithful to the point of death? Do you believe that those in Christ will be raised on the last day to enjoy eternal life in the new heavens in the new earth? If you do, you will hold the line. Notice here that God keeps you. Keeps you because of what? Who he is and what he has done. He's not telling you to hold the line because of who you are and the power that's in you. He says, hold the line because of who he is and what he has done. God will keep you and he will keep you for his glory. The... Doxology, the blessing here, begins in the middle of verse 15. It says, He who is blessed and the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The end of our obedience is the glory of the triune God. And our love is to see him honored and to see him rule over all things, for he will rule over all things, even now as everything is being put under the rule and reign of Jesus. He is king, he's the blessed and only sovereign. There is nothing, absolutely nothing outside of his control. He's king of kings. And Lord of Lords, but not all people, and not all even who claim his name honor him as such. He is worthy of your worship today. He's worthy of the sacrifices that you make to worship him today. He is worthy of all of that and more. You cannot outgive, outlove, outlast his glory you can't imagine his glory well you want to think of heaven and the eternal state and what jesus is is like well he's reflected in creation and what we know of god just look around you Um, look at even the desires that are created in you those desires are for his glory and so take all of creation and those desires and what you desire most and say I'm going to set my affection on the one who created those. And I know not only are those desires going to be filled and fulfilled, but they will be heightened. Everything that is good points to the God who is the giver of all good gifts. It's we who are his creation that, that take these things and make them warped, bent, and twisted. So take those things, take creation, take the desires, And allow those things to point you towards God. Because that's what his word does. It redirects through the work of Jesus Christ. It reconnects and redirects and says everything is for his glory. It is only in idolatry that we take these good things and we make them supreme. But if we will focus on heaven... If we will focus our desires on heaven, we will enjoy earth and all that God created all the more, all the more. You know, I do really love this season that we're in. I mean, it's what I long for in February. But what a shame if I waste it on myself. And fail to give the giver his due, and that doesn't just mean putting your butt in a seat on Sunday morning. it means worshiping him in everything you do and understanding that that enjoyment like we I don't get heaven I don't, I don't understand it but I do understand the beauty of hiking in the early mornings, right? When the forest has that smell, I think they need to make a man's cologne, like earthy morning hike. I'd wear that. Maybe my wife wouldn't appreciate that, but I'd be like, I smell good. That is beautiful. That is glorious, right? And how much more? That's just like... God created that. How much more? You see, that's heaven times infinity. You can't comprehend. But where you see that the greatest is not out fishing or out hunting. That's not your church or your chapel. Where you see it the greatest is when the man became the servant. Enough. Held the line, took the bullet, went to the cross so that you too might hold the line. And so here, it's his voice that we hear commanding us to do as he has done. As he gives us his grace because he is awesome. He's marvelous beyond what words can express. And we are to live for his glory and honor. How do you do this? Let me tell you, it's holding the line. It's not doing the big things, it's not being the hero. It's joining a local church and serving faithfully. It's loving in the small things, it's being self sacrificial. And doing that over and over and over and over again. And learning that it's not for your glory. It's all for His. Let's pray. God, as we come to this time of reflection on your work in our lives, in our church, and as we come to the table of communion as a church, we just pray that you will work in our hearts. That you will increase our commitment Lord, that you will give us wisdom so that we are not allowing our lives to be pressed into a mold and a shape and a pattern of living that keeps us from keeping your commands. Help us to be different, to live different, to live according to your word. To do things your way we need great wisdom and we need humility Um, if we are going to break from the pack from the rest of the world and say this is the path to and through the cross to glory and lord we know we cannot do that on our own we need jesus but you have told us that we need each other We are part of the body. We are part of the household. And so, Lord, we pray that you would increase, even as we participate in union, communion together, that by your body and by your blood, as you have brought us together as a family, um, that by these elements, that you will increase the fight in us together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.